cleverly, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. 80,000 YouTube subscribers can't be wrong. It is, folks, time for Morning Combat. My name is Brian Campbell, the beige one, the BBC of CBS Sports, and many other people willing to hand me checks. Welcome Friday, February 26-ish. 2021 uh bc making it look easy on fridays with the orange background i'll be on the ones and twos but you better believe i've got a co-host and he's a powerful one he's the man to my gina the cato to my oj right right the cream to my clear do i have any others here to share with you he's from cbs sports he's salt and pepper at the same time it's luke thomas luke are you feeling what i'm feeling this friday morning uh, probably not in the same caffeinated way that you are, because my daughter got up at the butt crack of dawn. But otherwise, yes, quite motivated for a combat sports-filled weekend. Thank you. We want to thank all of our passionate subscribers who have helped make MK all day, nearly every day, their favorite show. Eighty thousand on YouTube. Not a pl- not a milestone, Luke. We take lightly, even though we've been hovering in the high seventies for some time. But the assault on one hundred is coming. At 150, apparently I get an MK tattoo. All I know is that if you think there's competition in this landscape, Luke, we are skull-effing them right now, right? Are we? I don't think that's quite true yet. We have a little bit of a ways to go, but it's a happy milestone just the same. All right. At least not with the uh, quantity, but definitely from the quality standpoint in terms of our art, Luke, which uh, can't be faded. Thank you very much. Uh, Big show today, as always. We're going to set the stage for the weekend of fights to come. Some big heavyweights touching gloves with the UFC in Las Vegas. Also a uh, breakdown of a very interesting soap opera-ish Thursday in the world of boxing with Teofimo Lopez and the purse bid situation. We got a lot of dead wrong in your future as well. It's what we do on Friday. Uh, I'm wearing cactus pajama pants below this uh this nice uh uh asphyxiation up here luke okay so it's very casual on the underbelly how about yourself you're looking pretty uh jacked in that big trouble in little china t-shirt got the big trouble in little china tea i found it on instagram of all places but uh i bought it loved it wearing it happy to see another another movie that you absolutely have to see you have not seen yet which is inexplicable you haven't seen it but we can fix that just the same Indeed, Luke. Uh, Speaking, though, of things people should be wearing, please, uh, we want you in our MK merch. Not only can you go to store.show.com right now and be outfitted in a plenty, a plethora of all things, tumblers, coffee mugs, winter caps, uh, sweatshirts, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, Do that right now uh, if you live in the lower 48 and you have five bars on your cell phone. Uh, But, Luke, uh, we will be in a meeting, full disclosure, later today. That launch of 2.0 merch, international shipping, all that good stuff is coming in their future. Also, never a better time to support uh, people who support us. Showtime, the label, that does pay me. Uh, You can get 30 days free right now on Showtime.com. And the reason why that's important, not only are we in the midst of a rollout of some big-time Showtime championship boxing, but Bellator MMA has a new home. It is Showtime beginning April 2nd. You're not going to want to miss the ending of that featherweight Grand Prix. You're not going to want to miss the launch of that eight-man light heavyweight tournament. So why don't you get 30 days free? And for new subscribers, the next six months, four ninety-nine a pop. Luke, you could argue 
that there's almost some pay-per-view worthy matchups here coming out. And if you can get that for four ninety nine a pop, not a bad deal, right, bro? Yeah, and all, again, it's not like you're paying for. And I'm, I'm a customer of DAZN. I pay for DAZN, but I'm just saying, if you get DAZN and you're in the United States, you don't get a whole lot for it. If you get Showtime, and yes, we're biased, we are paid by Showtime, but you get all of Showtime, including what's on the on-demand library. So you get all the live stuff that they air, plus everything that they've ever aired, the Wu-Tang documentary, the Comedy Store documentary, I'm watching Your Honor with Brian Cranston, everything else. So you get that, plus all the entertainment that comes with it. It's a, it's a pretty decent deal. Luke, I'm looking forward to when you finally catch up with the uh, sports betting series known as Action on Showtime, that documentary series, so then we can interview all of the degenerates that were featured in that show one after another and check in where they're at in their life and which uh, which which local Vegas sports book they spend most of their time in. Luke. See, here's the thing. If they have interesting characters on the show, then I'm down to watch it, obviously, because you know you can imagine the creatures who would be involved in such an enterprise. But by itself, and I realize that people do it because they like it. It's, I think, good for sports, quite candidly. But, like, am I personally entertained by sports betting? No, I find it kind of boring. So what oh, I'm hoping oh, watch is... watch the show. <laughs> watch okay, the show. Okay, okay. So what you're yeah. saying is it's all about the characters, in which case I'm Yes, in. because he, from legitimate to straight-up ridiculous, every player in this uh, Vegas lifestyle has a has a sad underbelly. I hate to say it, Luke, but, uh, you know, we are sort of uh, watching an accident on the side of the road, Tiger, Tiger King style, excuse me. But enough babbling, Luke, to kick things off. Um, I'm ready to get into it, unless you want to tell us about your weekend plans, Bed Bath & Beyond, anything? Uh, it's funny you mention that. I am furniture shopping. Because my wife is in the, uh, we have to fix this mood, which they come and go. I never seem to know what precipitates them, other than they just happen, seemingly. But uh, obviously, the big focus for you and I, Canelo fighting this weekend. Should be a blowout, but we're going to watch it just the same. Obviously, UFC is back to action, so really my weekend is kind of centered around that. Time with my daughter, a little bit of time in the front yard gym. That's it. Can you make sure your wife, uh, your beautiful wife, understands that Canelo represents all Latinos this Saturday, Luke? Here's the thing about that. I'm obviously in no position to say whether it's right or it's wrong, but here's what I can say is true. When I'm here in the United States, there does appear to be like a a unity across national divisions about Latino identity. And then when you go to these individual countries, that shit's out the window. <laughs> they chuck that shit out fast. Yeah. Uh, it's all about just the national pride that they have. So, you know, it probably is true to an extent. But let's not oversell it either. But despite our willingness to kiss other men on the lips, us fresh Canadians don't support each other at all, Luke. Okay, so it is what it is. On <laughs> unless, that it's, uh, unless it's a father-son relationship. Yes. Yeah, so speaking quickly of Canelo, we do encourage you, as always, to check out our bonus content, which includes uh, Luke Thomas's live chat every Thursday on the MK channel on YouTube. Also, a sit-down, a quick sit-down, little piece of business with Canelo Alvarez. I know people didn't like the dubbing of his answers. It wasn't our end. It was on their end. It was kind of some issues with the volume. But we pulled the interview off. Just the same. Shout out to Mikey Mormile on the production there. And also, I did a sit-down uh, with Aljamain Sterling ahead of UFC 259 next week when he faces Piotr Jan. Luke, I know you probably won't listen to that, but very good chat with Aljo. Uh, it's going to get you fired up for the fight, okay? I'll listen to the Aljo one before I listen to the Canelo one, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, Luke. Okay. Can, look, I love Canelo. I love me some Big Red Luke. He doesn't give the most detailed answers. It's very commercial and protective. All right. I asked him what his favorite book was in Russian, and he gave me a great answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> then he swore off all interviews after that. Thank you That's very it. much, it was done. Luke. All right, let's get into it. Uh, we're going to set the stage for this weekend, of course, Saturday, Vegas, on one of them ESPN platforms. It is UFC Fight Night. And it is heavyweights. Uh, I'm going to speak to the depth of this card being shit Luke, but this main event <laughs> is uh, pretty damn fantastic. Heavyweights going to be a key one in terms of laying out this title picture in the near future. Jair Rosenstrike against unbeaten Frenchman Cyril Gahn. Uh, I don't know if either of these guys are going to be gone in 60 seconds here, Luke. Nicholas Cage references coming out the ace hole. But I will tell you, I'm excited about this, both coming off of stoppage losses of JDS, a former champ, and both ready to prove they are legit. Of course, Rosenstrike had to bounce back from that loss to Francis Ngannou, which was his first L. We haven't seen Gahn in that spot, but this is a fairly big step up here, all things considered. Luke, uh... Is it easy to say this is just going to be a, a quick piece of violent business in the closet when you put these two animals together? Or do you see more patience, more technical work here? What should we expect Saturday night? I think it's going to depend on Rosenstrike, to be quite honest with you. And again, I'm not sure to pronounce his name properly, so that's how it was explained to me. But um, the reason why is, again, I'll give this guy a shout-out because I feel like his analysis is quite prescient ahead of time. Uh, Richard Mann from Fightmetric he put out a point uh, for his newsletter, and I read it, and it was actually a pretty interesting one. It's hard to know exactly how they might fight because it's two orthodox strikers, two heavyweights. They might be leery of the power, but Rosenstrike seems to want to mix it up a little bit more with the hands. So you know, a lot of this is really hard to know. But one thing that we've seen a bit of a trend on is that Gone has a lot of consistency and success striking at long range, which is somewhat unusual at heavyweight. He also has 100% um, takedown defense. Now, he hasn't been uh, super attacked in that way, but to the extent that there's been some, he has thwarted it. So you really have to ask yourself, is he able to keep this fight kind of at the distance where he fought JDS? And if he is successfully, you might see a bit of an upset. He currently sits at seven in the division. I believe Rosenstrike sitting around the number four spot. This is huge because he could jump into the top five, the Frenchman could, with a win here. The question is, is Rosenstrike going to be able to get inside of his own boxing range? He does have, I think, a two or even three inch reach disadvantage. Or is the long-range striking that is still pretty powerful and still pretty active, right? He does have a ton of volume, or at least a lot of volume, I should say, at that range. Or is that going to play out? It feels to me like that's where this fight is going to be won and lost. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the potential of a rankings upset with a gone win, but the Vegas odds makers, our friends at William Hill, though, do have Surreal Gone as your favorite at minus 278 as of right now, plus 210 for Rosenstrike. Luke, when I look at the experience factor, I, I guess you can you can put it to Jair Zinho, who's, you know, went on that tour de force of KOing the likes of, uh, what, Overeem, Arlovsky. I mean, you know, he did he did the deeds JDS to get to this point. He also has, maybe you could say the added benefit, if you want to call it that, of having lost a big step-up fight and had to rebuild himself. Do you give that advantage and experience, seemingly that Cyril Gan has fought less in the UFC, beat Tanner Bozer, beat JDS, nobody else up to this point. Is that an edge at all in this one? Well, Rosenstrike has the edge, not merely in terms of experience inside of MMA, but also in kickboxing, right? I mean, Gon has some kickboxing to his name. 
uh, and he's quite successful at it, but not to the overall amount at a high level that Rosenstrike had. Now, Rosenstrike had noteworthy losses, but he competed at a pretty high level for a fairly long time. And so in that sense, there's a lot happening here. But I, I don't know. I don't know how relevant that will be here. To me, this is really a contrast of big, strong, pretty athletic, pretty decently talented strikers but with very contrasting styles and very different approaches to the game. One more sort of note about this I think will tell you a lot. If you look at Cyril Gahn's numbers here a little bit, BC, I pulled them out. Gahn lands 5.6 strikes uh, per minute, which is for a heavyweight very, very high, but only absorbs 1.95. That's one of the best differentials I've seen for a heavyweight maybe ever. I don't, I'm not saying it's the best ever, but I'm saying in my casual sort of looking at these numbers, I can't recall the last time I saw a heavyweight with that kind of a, you know, a three plus positive differential. I, can, I mean, that's rare across the board and he's got one that's pretty high. Now, the truth is there's a positive differential for Rosenstrike as well, but it's pretty narrow. Four strikes landed per minute, three absorbed. So just a one. And this is the key, BC. Now, some of this comes from like a five round fight with Overeem where he's taking strikes underneath. But he only has a 36% defensive rate. Gone 73. 73. Ooh. He fights at a really long range. BC, he's hard to hit. So if you see Gone getting hit a lot, that is not just unusual um, for his fighting style. That's unusual over the course of his entire MMA run, quite candidly. So that's something that's re you're really. Who can slow this fight down and put it at their pace or speed it up, I think? and put it at Rosenstrike's uh, pace at a narrower distance. That's that's really what this essentially comes down to. Yeah, I, I certainly see Gon as the fighter who uh, has probably the better technique and more well-rounded game, maybe has the better you know, long-term potential right now and ceiling to be a title contender, although obviously when you have the, the power of a Rosenstrike, and this is the heavyweight division, you can cover up a lot of that. Will that, outside of the technique from the standpoint of being a counter-striker and all that, will this fight go to the ground? Do you think there's an advantage for either guy? Will that be an element in this at all? It might be, dude, because here's the thing. O Overeem has, like, very underrated takedowns, and I think a lot of people are like, oh, Rosenstrike has no ground game because Overeem took him down. Well, to be clear, I would not call Rosenstrike's ground game good. No, I don't. I, I, that would not be accurate, but... He survived 25 minutes or 24 minutes and some change or whatever it was, and then ended up winning. So, like, he's got a bit – like, some of these heavyweights have, like, that Derek Lewis thing where, no, their ground game's not good, but they don't collapse under the, the, the weakness of it in the ways you might imagine either. They might lose rounds. They might lose minutes at a time, but they're still kind of in the fight if you don't really hurt them underneath, if you don't really make them suffer – Underneath and recall, while the takedown defense and the ground game of Rosenstrike is not good, uh, Dontel Mays got heel hooked by Cyril Gon. Now it wasn't the best heel hook I've ever seen, but you do have to wonder if he can't keep it at range, or maybe he wants to mix it up. Gon might try for the takedown. For me, I would not imagine. It'd be very surprising, right? BC, you'd be surprised. Yeah. If Rosenstrike was out there trying to take Cyril Gon down, who has a 100% takedown defensive rate, that would be weird. But the other way around could very much be in play. And your uh, your smart breakdown there of sort of the the takedown, is it a plus or a negative for Derek Lewis? Very comparable, uh, Luke, to my vocabulary. It really doesn't uh, impress you coming from a factory town, but at the same time, I am from Connecticut, so I you know, I can speak well enough where I'm not going to cost I'm, myself. Listen, you have enough. all of your teeth. You're, you're doing better than most. <laughs> They are yellow coffee stained, but I'm, I'm yeah, doing better than most. Uh, Luke, I would think from my casual standpoint that there's going to be some patient pawing and circling in this one for some time. 
And then as soon as it heats up, it might end, given the power of them both. If you're Rosenstrike, should you be looking to make this sloppy, uh, to make it a brawl, to make it a close quarters battle? Is that your best chance to win? Yeah, I mean... Sloppy, you could still get hit with something, but I will say, how about this? Maybe we can split the difference a little bit, BC. I feel like if you're Rosenstrike, you gotta play, you gotta play hurry up offense, right? You gotta make Cyril gone make uh, hasty decisions, and then when he makes hasty decisions, he makes bad choices inevitably. It's hard to make those uh, quickly, and so I think if he is really cornering him backing him up, taking away his space, fainting a lot, really trying to go for it in certain ranges, and, and Gon is trying to cover up and figure out how I, how do I get to the next stage to get things better, and you're constantly just making him think, which, you know, I'm not saying Rosenstrike has a workhorse style, but if you put pressure on someone, they begin to, you know, crumble a little bit. There might be something yeah. to be said for that. I do think um, it's a bit of an uphill climb for Rosenstrike, given some of these realities, but it is winnable. They've got him at a plus 225 in places, you know, a plus uh, 205 in others. I'm not saying that's wrong. Again, betting lines aren't uh, the full indication of the truth. Uh, I do think that Gon deserves to be the favorite, but I do think it's also winnable uh, for Biggie Boy. Yeah, pressure burst pipes indeed, Luke. Uh, speaking of Biggie Boy, real quick off topic, he's from Suriname, which many people forget is part of South America, giving your connection to that continent and your uh, typical arrogant sometimes class ranking of countries here what is Suriname's you know cultural footprint there I mean I don't even think of it sometimes as South American it's a Dutch colony uh, or used to used to be a Dutch colony anyway so uh, they all speak Dutch or at least a lot of them do uh, but I've looked up places in Suriname to like learn more about it you know it, it, there's South there's Spanish speaking South America then there's obviously Brazil and then there's this like constellation of like nearby islands or or, you know, sort of these outlying countries, um, you know, that uh, a lot of them were colonized by various forces of Europe that, frankly, I don't know much about. So that's the most All I right. can really tell you. All right. Would they be welcome in your kitchen, the Suriname? Oh, yeah. Dude, any of those any of those places that's out. Dude, South American food, I mean, it's wildly diverse. It's not one thing. But, right. um, you know, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find bad food down there. Down the road, I envision a, an MK spinoff series where fighters of different ethnic backgrounds come into your house, in your kitchen. Abuela cooks traditional Colombian for them. We get the reaction to it. I mean, I can I can produce and direct this. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, anyway, Luke, uh, to close on the importance of this fight, uh, what percentage chance does the winner of this face Derek Lewis to become the next guy in the on-deck circle after John Jones? Is that what we're looking at here in terms of stakes? Whoo. Probably, but the problem, probably the only, the, the, I don't know if it's a wild card exactly, but the other thing you have to address, let's put it that way, is what about Volkov? Because Volkov uh, is looking really good. He's red hot. He's in the top five. Uh, I know he lost to Blades previously, but you know, he, he, his sense looked pretty good. And uh, there's that. I won't say unfinished business between he and Lewis, but there True. was the very interesting first round. Uh, when I say round, I mean first fight that they had that ended, you know, in a spectacular, but something of a bit of a Hail Mary kind of fashion. Does UFC want to run that back? I think that part remains a little bit unsettled. Yeah, absolutely. I forgot about that factor in this. It's going to be interesting to see how the near future plays out. I could see the UFC really wanting that storyline. Volkov against Lewis, the rematch, fight night main event. Oh, wow. Woo Welcome to Friday here, there. BC. 
full apologies on that one to you folks. I mean, you start, you put the, the Luke, are you on the seltzer life? Is this, uh, is this part- uh, uh, the question is, are you housebroken? That really is the <laughs> operative consideration here. Wow, you never know on Fridays. Uh, no J Fridays when VC's at the controls, what happens? Uh, Luke, this, so I said this undercard was not great, and it's not like I'm here to trash the UFC for that I, next I, week. I believe, your, I believe your words were shite. Shite, uh, Shiite Muslim there. Uh, next week's 259 is arguably their best card in like two, three years, so I'm not here to say much about that. I will say there are sneaky good potential fights on this undercard. Yeah. How jacked are you for this light heavyweight co-main and its potential for violence when Nikita Krylov t- faces a betting favorite and red-hot Magomed Ankalaev who just took uh, Kutelaba's soul a couple times, Luke? Yeah, Ankalaev is a beast. Uh, this guy out of Dagestan. You know, again, we always talk about it. You got a white guy with an Amish beard, and he's got a Z or a V in his name. You bet the fucking farm on that, on that dude. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he this dude and legitimately. He's got he's he's well rounded. He's a good athlete. Um, he's got really good boxing, really, really, really good boxing, which is going to make for an interesting style clash between he and Krilov, who's a little bit more bouncy, kickboxy, rangy kind of a guy. I do think Uncle Live is also a little bit bigger. So that'll be fun. Uh, but it should be a fun contest. I expect Ankalaev to win. I got my IBC, though, on Rivera and Munoz. That's, that's sort of a very interesting bantamweight contest. Very, very closely contested. And I have to say, I don't think it will be competitive, but Angela Hill needs a big win here. She she is coming off of, I think, a couple of losses, which were very controversial. I thought at least one of those she deserved to win. She's a heavy favorite here at minus 370 against Ashley Yoder. She should beat Ashley Yoder pretty cleanly. If she doesn't, you know, because she, she's been building towards something, right? She was one of the ones in the pandemic who was taking fights constantly and was going well for a time. And even in the fights she lost, she performed quite well. This is a chance to only get a W. An emphatic one, I think, is kind of needed here a little bit to remind everyone about the journey she's been on. The spider monkey can fight on the ground, Luke. She can make it a tough night at the office. Are you surprised, by the way, going back to that Bantamweight matchup between, you know, certain true contenders who maybe have had better days, Munoz and Rivera, that good old Jimmy Rivera's the slight betting favorite in almost a virtual pick here, Luke? I no. mean, is, you're not surprised. No, I mean, he's got a really, he's got a, against, against the very best ones, this is not true, but against the ones who are not necessarily the very best, so we'll see where Munoz falls in that retro in that in that dividing line uh he is very good about slowing things down being landing and then not being hit he's sort of very kind of hard to pinpoint and discover Munoz has very good leg kicks so that'll be kind of interesting to see how things go but uh no Rivera a little bit more of the a little bit more of the tactical between the two all right, all right. Hey, I'm a fan favorite of Montana De La Rosa. She's back in a women's flyweight bout. Did you see that story that UFC Fight Pass did some feature on her and her fam and a and her and her daughter, who's a you know a, a rising youth wrestling stud, and her husband, who's also a fighter? Was it was you know I don't know, Luke. I liked it. Okay, I, I mean she's lost two or three. I don't know if she's a legit flyweight contender anytime soon, but uh, I'll be watching. Okay, Luke. Uh, I did not see that, but I will say a couple more of uh, these fights to look out for. Dustin Jacoby. Taking on Maxime Grishin, who I think fought in PFL and did really well. So that's actually a tougher fight than you might imagine. Also, Sabina Mazo, the Colombian national, I think out of Medellin. Although she fights now with, uh, and has for some time, obviously, with Rafael Cordero over at Kings MMA. Taking on Alexis Davis. That's actually a pretty interesting women's bantamweight contest. Mazo had a bit of a slow start when she got to UFC. And she kind of didn't look all that great. But she's kind of really turned up the pace and the volume, and frankly, like the aggression of what she's looking for, and it has paid dividends. 
big, big fight for her. Is she going to be another contender in this division? Um, this is the road to, to that place. Yeah, it could be a sneaky banger as well in that prelim main event there with uh, Also, Alex. last thing. Sorry, sorry, last thing. Whoa, whoa, yeah, sorry, Luke. I was, yeah, I was only talking, but that's cool. What do you got, Luke? What do you got? I, ap- I apologize. I apologize. I just wanted to make note. Isn't it funny, BC? Serious question. Isn't it funny that when we started the ESPN era in 2020, right? That first show, or no, 2019, excuse me. That first show in Brooklyn, um, that the co-main on that card, if I recall correctly, was it not? Alexander Hernandez and Donald Cerrone and he wow. was calling him day drinking Don and the whole thing and then he goes up there and got whooped well he had a big change of heart and he's had he's come a long way and he's matured but he's on the prelim card against Tiago Moises and no one's really talking about it it's actually a good fight itself uh, I was actually talking about it when he cut me off Luke I was going to say this could be a lightweight banger here you know Sorry, sorry, BC. I apologize. That's no, sorry. no problem, Luke. Sorry. Well, I'm a big forgiver of all of your past transgressions. Indeed, uh, Luke. That's the card for this week, and also Cowboy Oliveira taking last minute against Ramazan Kurmagomedov. Should we just bet bet the house on the uh, the guy who sounds like all the other names, Luke? Do you yeah. know much about Ramazan Kurmagomedov? I know he probably out. has an Amish beard, and he's yes. got a Z and a V in his name. That's not a man to fuck with. Bet big. On Dagestan. All right, Luke, let's keep this thing rolling. Big news out of boxing uh, Thursday during this virtual purse bid in the IBF offices in New Jersey. We're talking about boxing. We're talking about Teofimo Lopez, your maybe undisputed lightweight champion, depending on how you perceive the belt bullshit in boxing. Uh, he's going to defend the titles against George Cambosos Jr. in a mandated title defense. The big story here was the stuff we've been teasing in recent weeks that Top Rank and Lopez were not coming to terms on the potential purse for this fight. Top Rank offering him his contracted minimum of just over a million dollars uh, reports and great reporting here by the way overall from Mike Coppinger of The Athletic was that Lopez's team countered somewhere over five million that ended the discussions we went to a purse bid Luke I'm going to explain the whole purse bid thing in a couple minutes here but let's get right into the headline of this because I know a lot of MMA fans are like what the hell is this why does it matter Uh, We had a big-time bidder from left field, and it was Triller Fight Club. Of course, you may remember them for putting on the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones, Snoop Dogg-related, more Ronaldo Israel Adesanya-voiced boxing pay-per-view, which surprised us all in its entertainment value, and it kind of coming from left field. Luke, they bid over $6 million to win this blind purse bid. They will be putting on this Teofimo Lopez card, and obviously the story here is a big one. From the rift between the fighter and the promoter, the comments from all parties have been hot and heavy, Luke, since this news went down yesterday. What is your initial reaction, giving your knowledge of the boxing business landscape, that one of the brightest young stars here on the verge, really, of crossover stardom fresh off the win over Lomachenko is now going to be fighting off ESPN, the network that sort of built him, and going into potential, you know, Jake Paul land here with what we got going on on Triller? There's a lot of moving pieces to this, and I do think it's important, BC, for you to explain the purse bid situation in just a second. There's so there's so, a few headlines for me that come out of this. One, congratulations to Teofimo Lopez. He stuck to his guns about wanting more money that in, in a way where he knew it could uh, make his relationship with his promoter more acrimonious. It has. We'll talk about that in a second. But on the plus side, he's going to get sick. Well, you know, after after all the taxes and everything, he'll get around three. But still, six million for this fight. He bet on himself and he won in a dramatic, dramatic way. It's good to see a boxer 
finally get overpaid. He is overpaid for this. Let's just call it what it is because the the bid from Triller was 2.5 or 2.6 more than the next closest bid. So they're clearly overpaying for this. But you know what? For all the times the boxer's been underpaid, God bless Teofimo Lopez for being overpaid for once. Doesn't hurt my uh, break my heart at all. Okay, so Look, good he, for him. That that's He went nice. all in and he's getting paid for it. I mean, that's the headline here. He right. went he bet on himself and it worked out, dude. Wow. The thing the thing that's weird for me is one Triller it just seems to have a grand desire to burn money because if you look at what the company is it's a it's a music video app that is trying to compete with TikTok. They've been accused multiple times, quite credibly, from metric, uh, from software companies that develop, that, that uh, assess analytics and metrics of grossly overflating their uh, overinflating their download numbers. Um, and it's not clear to me how this side business, because they also sometimes pay uh, celebrities to use their app more than TikTok, and they've been criticized for that as well. Although I don't care about that. But here's the point where they're trying to use this sort of side events. Not as a way to generate revenue on their own, because I guarantee you they do not make money on that side, but as a way to promote the overall brand. But I don't think it actually leads to downloads. So the Triller is just a weird outlier in all of this. The headline for me, BC, is the one I think that is probably the same for you. You tell me. I I understand Top Rank not wanting to overpay for this. There was never going to be a world where they were going to pay $4 million for this, $3 million for this, much less 6 So... They worked out in that sense. They get 800K from this whole thing in the end. What I don't understand, BC, and maybe you can explain to me is, Bob Arum explicitly said yesterday, if Triller wants to buy out his contract, Teofimo Lopez, that's okay by him. We don't mind at all. The desire to go to the mat with Lopez at this moment in time, as his career is about to hit the fucking stratosphere, I find baffling. Help yeah, there up, are see. so many layers and so proper elements to this. Just so people know, this is for one fight. Triller, uh, you know, made that big giant bid to to really try to disrupt the market. They've only been known up to this point as, you know, the freak fight people, putting on the YouTube fights, putting on the Tyson Jones. A lot of rumors we could get a Tyson Holyfield 3, right, coming up. We know we're going to get Jake Paul against Ben Askren. As we stand now, this Lopez fight is going uh, is gonna to fit as like a pay-per-view co-main to one of those two fights, it seems right now. But here's the deal top rank thought they had the leverage here because they do have lopez under contract for three and a half more years they didn't think this fight against cambosos was any kind of attraction fight right it's a mandatory stay busy while there is potential you know it could be dangerous cambosos on b and he's decent this is not one that that's going to draw a ton of eyeballs so from their standpoint financially they were willing to let the kid do it you know you want to you want to fight us on this go ahead see what you're worth it just turned out to be a worst-case scenario in a lot of ways for Top Rank. Now, they can certainly argue, Luke, and say they're going to save a lot of money, and they are. They're not paying out multiple million for this fight now. In fact, uh, how it broke down with that over $6 million bid is that a certain percentage of it goes to the champion, which is Teofimo. So Top Rank is going to make basically $800,000 they are going to earn from this going to Triller. So they come out of it well financially, but it's really the long-term damage we're talking about. The relationship with ESPN, the whole idea that you lost a star by being for this one fight and maybe severing the relationship moving forward, you know, to take a stand one time right now. And I don't think Top Rank was prepared, Luke, for what ended up happening next. Not just the left field bid from Triller and just full disclosure to let people know if Triller hadn't even been there, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Sport 
bet bet three and a half million. So they would have won this purse bid. Top rank only bid just over two million. So either way, whether it's Triller in this discussion or not, they were going to lose him for this fight. Again, from their standpoint, they're trying to sort of discipline a young fighter who, yes, you just beat Lomachenko. That's a huge win. Yes, you are on the verge of breaking out, but what they're trying to do is put limits, right? Put boundaries up and say, you're not there yet, so you're not going to strong arm us. I'm 89-year-old Bob Arum, right? I'm a Hall of Fame gangster. You're not going to strong arm me. Luke, how this all played out from a soap opera angle, and again, I want to plug Mike Coppinger's athletic story to really in layman's terms, present to any fan, you know, a complete breakdown of how this relationship fell apart. I think they didn't realize that Lopez's team was going to be this savvy Uh, manager, David McWater and the people that he has behind him, Luke, because they succeeded in not only getting their man an insane amount of money for a fight that doesn't deserve it, but they have painted this picture publicly that is true to a certain degree that top rank and ESPN come looking like the, the cheapskates in this, even though, they were trying to make a stand, right? They're trying to say, you're not worth this much. We're not going to pay it. Go out there and see what you can get. I don't think they expected him to get this much. And then I don't think they expected them to, you know, now we have leaked emails. Now we have a lot more of a fallout of a soap opera here where top rank could end up losing this kid. The same way Aram lost Floyd Mayweather. Aram lost Oscar De La Hoya after spending all that money, building them up, making them stars. And then coming to arguments over money, having that star leave and basically kind of start their own promotional companies eventually. Obviously, Lopez doesn't have that leverage now, Luke. But you and I were arguing over text. Whether you believe going to the Triller platform actually matters, it's going to be off ESPN, which is a bad look for future relationships. And there is that potential that Lopez is now going to be in the living room of a lot more... People that don't traditionally watch boxing. And I think it's different to say what you said to me over over text was like, well, he's already fighting on ESPN. That's true. You do have the potential through SportsCenter and that advertisement to cross over in some ways. But things are so different with the youth, Luke. I got teenage sons, right? They don't ever, 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 ever turn on regular cable TV. Ever. They're not going to stumble at age 13 into a tail fight on ESPN. I don't know if they've ever heard a Triller, but these are the avenues to get these kids. My kids have their own YouTube heroes. Not the Paul brothers, right? They got some weird video game kids, but they they got their own (laughs) heroes. And, you know, these are the type of fights that are aimed at that. You got the Paul brothers. You got some of this, you know, things that we think are bullshit. But it's going to be interesting if this move not only helps make Lopez a, a star and gives him more leverage from that, but how much, you know, is he going to come back to them and, and, and take, you know, cheap money again? I don't know where we're going here. Let me read you specifically uh, two quotes that I pulled out of this athletic story. This is Teofimo Lopez talking last night. Bob Arum just announced to not expect the same pay when I come back to ESPN after this fight. And if that's the case, Bob, you might as well buy yourself out. It's crazy. This is just business. And if they can't treat their fighters, or at least me, in a way of respect then I'll find it somewhere else because I know what I'm worth. I'm very happy and I'm very thankful, but I'm hurt by it. My father and my mother were crying. Obviously, Triller knows my worth. And if anything has a wake-up call, this was a wake-up call for Top Rank. One more quote that Lopez tacked on at the end, talking about uh, Top Rank's Todd DeBuff, who's Aram's stepson and really the heir to the throne here for Top Rank. Uh, Sorry, I have to cycle through your, uh, your picture of Canelo with a heart on here, Luke. Okay, it says, it sucks, it really does to have it go this way because of the relationship I had with Top Rank. 
but it's more so the relationship I had with ESPN. But, you know, Todd DeBuff is the man. He knows what he's doing. We got to give kudos to Todd, working on his fighters very well. So congratulations, Todd DeBuff. You lost your best fighter from your stable. Luke, is this irreparable? Are we getting to this point? Because I think the key, the key thing to focus on here is, you know, how, how do you fix this? How do, you know, Taylor's going to get paid either way moving forward. But is there a way to, uh, to stand firm in the fact that Top Rank still has him for another three and a half years and still keep him happy now that, you know, Team Lopez, they showed all the cards. They kind of made the, the bosses look really bad here. I, I, to an extent, I think both have a chance to get out in front of their skis. Both have a way to get it back. By the way, for folks who may not realize, d- d- essentially the guys from DAZN, Matchroom is not from DAZN, but they have a relationship with DAZN. They bid three and a half or so mil on this fight. Um, that is now causing a rift with top rank that could affect Fury and Joshua negotiations. So the ripple effects of this are just, you know, countless. But to the question you're asking about, you know, who's making the error here, listen, I don't know how, unless Triller doubles down, how is Lopez, after this fight, going to get $6 million BC and where? Who could you match him up with, uh, aside from Triller just coming out of nowhere and just say, yeah, we're just going to spend dumb money that we don't have, uh, get $6 million. Like He's not going to get it. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how, even if it was a pay-per-view and he got a cut of it, Who's he going to fight where he can generate that much? It's not clear to me yet. So if you want to say that there's probably a short-term benefit by being shown to a new audience in a fight where you're going to win probably very easily, sure, I'm willing to grant that. But, I'm, you know, Triller versus ESPN, where would you rather have 10 fights? The answer is pretty clearly going to be ESPN. I I think that's – I don't think that's very debatable. But um, uh, the problem that each guy has here is – Top rank is being a hard ass with him at the time that they can't do anything with Bud Crawford. It makes them look cheap. It makes them look miserly. It makes them look like they're malcontents and they're hard to deal with with two guys who are preeminent talents and you're wasting their time. So that is a, relation, a thing that they're kind of getting stuck with. At the same time, though, if I'm Teofimo Lopez, you should look around and say, dude, Triller is overpaying for this. No one else even came close to this. So, you know, is there room to say with top rank, okay, let's renegotiate the deal. We can go a little higher than we were before to get you to a place where you have a much higher uh, ceiling and floor, um, but maybe not at what you were getting from Triller. Uh, and then both parties can realize there's something of a bubble that they're op- they're both kind of operating on in different ends here. It doesn't need to pop if they can be sensible about their future. Will they be, though? I have no clue because now they're both stuck in a game of chicken. Yes. Yes. And you're right that it's more short term gain right now because of the nature of this going to a purse bid and the fact that it was a mandatory mandated fight by the IBF. That's why this situation was occurred. So let me kind of explain this. All right. Uh, People in MMA rightfully don't understand this BS because they don't have to deal with it. Why? Because in MMA, it's a different structure. If you're Dana White or you're Scott Coker, you're not only the promoter who makes the fights, you're also the sanctioning body. There's no IBF, WBC, Bama or Whamma overseeing each fight, right? The, the, the state commissions oversee the medicals, yes, right? But the promoter also is the man putting the title on the line. So in boxing, we sometimes hate these mandated things because we get situations like this Canelo fight this weekend. But in reality, Luke, we know that promoters are so tied to networks 
that we almost have leagues in the same way we have UFC and Bellator. You're not going to see a UFC fighter face a Bellator fighter. Why? Because they have their own titles, right? It's not like they're ranked number one and two in the Bama featherweight world ranking. So, hey, sorry, Volkanovski's got to fight Pitbull next. It don't work like that. In boxing, it does, though. So sometimes what happens is they say, okay, your mandatory is next due. We say, number one, the champion has to fight number two. They set the date. What normally happens right away is because it's opposing promoters for each fight, Luke, they go into the negotiation situation, and whenever they cannot come up with a deal as to who's going to be the lead promoter, who's going to be the one that puts it on their own network that they're affiliated with and handles it all, when they can't agree to that, the only way to settle that is to go to a purse bid. So what is a purse bid? It's basically all the promoters show up with the financial backing of whatever network they're with, and they put in a blind bid, and then they open up all the bids one by one, and whoever bid the most has to put on the fight for that money and can put it on their network. We've seen some weird shenanigans in the past, Luke, but not really on huge fights where fighters from one network were kind of forced to fight on an off network just kind of to defend their title. It so rarely happens. The biggest comparison is maybe when Vladimir Klitschko took on Alexander Povietkin uh, in the past decade, uh, a Russian bidder, I don't know if it had government or, or mob ties or whatever, put up $27 million to put on that fight in Moscow. So Klitschko got basically like $21 million as the champion percentage, which is just ridiculous, but it happens. The one thing that made this one so rare is this wasn't a debate between promoters. Aram represents Teofimo, and Lou DiBella represents Cambosos from the DAZN side, but this wasn't a debate between them on price. This was a debate between Fighter and his own promoter, so that's why it made this purse bid a front-page story, and we're talking you know, this much about it, Luke. So the fallout of this is so weird. It's not just the drama between Fighter and promoter that we just got into, but it's what you teased. Bob Aram and company are pissed that Eddie Hearn and DAZN put in that bid to essentially outbid them to try to put on the fight. Why? Because as we're finding out from these leaked emails, and again, this is a soap opera, Top Rank and DAZN apparently had an emailed agreement last month that on May 8th, when Canelo comes back to fight Billy Joe Saunders on DAZN, that Top Rank would move their own fight that night, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez for all four junior welterweight belts, off that date later in the month so that Canelo doesn't have any competition. Aram and company said, okay, we'll do that for you. Why would Aram do that? Because there's some synergy between networks lately. Why? Because they're going to try to put on Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua two times in the next year and have them both be giant pay-per-views. Well, the fallout of this is that Aram and company are not happy at all. This could F up that in typical boxing fashion, Luke. But also, Aram is basically accusing DeBella, Cambosos' promoter, of getting in Teofimo's ear and colluding with him to try to get them to go at odds to create the purse bid. It's wild west of the lawless nation of boxing. It's a BS that organized sports don't have to deal with. But look, at the very least... Uh, boxing sometimes makes better headlines in the boardroom, I, I hate to say it, right, at the negotiation table than it actually does in the ring. But this is very interesting. That's all yeah. I'm saying. All, by the way, all for a fight that's not good. All yeah, for a yeah. fight that, that Lopez <laughs> is going to demolish this dude in. So, all right. okay. And, and, it for, and it forces us to stay on topic here, but this was a very interesting thing with a lot of to- uh, fallout. Luke, speaking of Triller, uh, this was a disrupt the market type of move you rightfully speculated it's like how long can they keep doing this until they become you know established and they can make money we're not sure but 
they also announced something else yesterday, Luke. April 17th, which is the Ben Askren pay-per-view main event against Jake Paul. Your co-main event, Luke, get ready for this. 41-year-old former MMA champion Frank Mir against 52-year-old former light heavyweight boxing champion Antonio Tarver. Luke, I feel like this is me presenting you with dead cat grilled on my grill and trying to say, no, it's edible. It's, you'll like this, Luke. Is there anything redeeming in this for you? Because I kind of like it only from a complete ridiculous, bizarre notion, but it's weird, Luke. It's really weird. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, is there a fight that you never wanted to see and in a way might make you sad or uncomfortable? Because us here at Triller, this, that's, that's our mandate to deliver. That's what we do here. Um, you know, look, man, what am I supposed to tell you? I, I, I honestly... I don't know what to say. We're already in a world where Jake Paul and Ben Askren are fucking boxing at the top of the card. Honestly, if they had if they had uh, fucking bears fighting and then clowns, you know, uh, wrestling alligators and uh, jello fights and dudes getting kicked in the balls and then those Russian slap fights down the card, would it be out of place? Would you be like, wow, that doesn't fit at all? To that end, BC, they've got, it looks like, we don't know for sure, although some of the remarks from uh, some Triller execs to ESPN's Mark Romandi seem to indicate this, but uh, it looks like Lopez and uh, co. are going to be co-main event to the Jake Paul and Ben Askren thing. It's like, well, you know. the Triller guy <laughs> said two different things. Yeah, the two different outlets. It may be that night. It also may be in May, which people think would be a Mike Tyson fight, co-main yeah. Who knows at this point? Who, but, who uh, knows? Anyway, anyway, if they, no matter where they put it, I mean, you know, this is what it is. It's the trashiest of the trash. Um, not that those yeah. two guys are not deserving of reverence. Uh, certainly, Frank Mir is an important figure in MMA, and obviously, Antonio Tarver has one of the best lines in all of boxing. You know, what's your excuse going to be tonight, Roy? I mean, it's just you know, yeah. these guys deserve some praise, but the situation for what it is, it's. Uh, I hope it's they're getting paid, bro. It's going to be gross. We haven't seen uh, Antonio Tarver in a boxing ring since 2015. And, you know, he's a multiple steroid cheat, and he got busted again, Luke. He was trying to make a comeback in his 40s as a heavyweight. It didn't work. Mir, of course, beat Roy Nelson in a gross Bellator fight in October 2019, but he'd been getting knocked out left and right. I don't know who to like here. Maybe Tarver with the boxing skills, but he's also old. I don't think Triller's drug testing will be up to speed. We'll see. Luke, just to close <laughs> real quick. Triller's drug testing. It's just like to close real quick. I can already see the comments coming for today's show saying, hey, BC and Luke, could you stop talking about a boxing purse bid for 25 minutes? Who cares? Why does that matter? Let me yes. just put this one sentence on it. Here's why it matters in boxing, because boxing is so segregated by promoters having exclusive deals with networks that it's really hard to make those Mayweather-Pacquiao, Fury-Wilder-type crossover fights that if something like this could disrupt the market so much that there's possibilities for fighters to get more money than they're being offered and fight on different networks against other fighters. As a longtime boxing guy, you get excited about that because it breaks up the structural things that hold the sport back from being what it used to be, Luke. If we can blow that shit up like moments like this do, it's a wild card effort here that makes you believe anything's possible again in boxing. That's why I care, okay? Thank you. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Luke, let's do a 30-second preview of Canelo Alvarez's return on Saturday. Hard Rock Stadium, where the Miami Dolphins play. 15K will be in attendance. This card, unfortunately, on zone just lost its co-main event, so there's not much to like outside of the main. 
You may not like the main either, though, as Canelo is a 50-1 to favorite on William Hill's sportsbook, Luke, to take on Avni Yildirim. Coming off a two-year break, Yildirim lost his last fight in a vacant title bout against uh, Anthony Durrell. Uh, Luke, what do we got here? Three, four rounds? And Canelo catches him with an uppercut on the way in? Is that what you got, Luke? Avni's pretty, uh, Yildirim, Avni's uh, pretty tough. Um, bit of a come-forward guy, right? Not the best defense. Maybe it goes long. Uh, Canelo wins no matter what. But maybe it goes long. I, I tend to think, yeah, you're right, BC. I think inside of three, inside of four, it only goes longer than that if A, Canelo is toying with him, or B, Yildirim is having the night of his life. Short of that, it's going to be super bad for him. Yeah, Yildirim's just too raw. He does have uh, Joel Diaz, a, a very solid trainer in his corner, was Tim Bradley's guy, a lot of other guys, but it's it's not going to be enough. Uh, they used to be sparring partners, something that is, has been coming out as well, Luke, ahead of the Golovkin rematch for Canelo, but uh, I think Canelo will already know what this guy's got, and it's not much. So expect a uh, explosion there in Miami in this one. Luke, Canelo told Boxing Scene yesterday, though, that he thinks each weight class should only have one champion, and that's part of his uh, motivation to become the undisputed super middleweight champion and would be the first one in three or four belt history for boxing. His quote, everybody wants to have a belt, everybody complains, but all fighters want to have a world title. There's no reason to create politics out of it, though. I really don't have an opinion regarding that. I believe that the interim titles and all these type of things, they don't have to be discarded for it to be a little bit more exclusive, yet there should be one single champion per weight class but it's just the way it is right now. We have to cope with what the times offer. No, Canelo, take a harder stance, bro, all right? Be the change we need. Start dropping these titles in the garbage pail so we have to uh, stop dealing with this bullshit. Uh, Luke, we'll keep the news cycle going here on some fight announcements. I want you to just give me a, you know, an honest take on your reaction here. June 12th, Luke, pay-per-view. We're not sure if it's main or co-main. It's going to be the flyweight champion of the world in the UFC, Figueredo, Luke. Going one more time against Brandon Moreno following their spectacular nearly fight of the year draw to close 2020. Uh, Figueredo opening as the betting favorite, but much smaller than the first fight. How jacked are you for this, Luke? Pretty jacked. I mean, insofar as featherweight fights go, um, there are still some undecided. Oh, sorry, flyweight fights. What am I saying? Uh, there, there are still some you know issues about who's going to be the next contender, which I think is helping to feed this scenario where you're having an automatic rematch. But here's the key. You know, you had a draw the last time, and maybe that was deserved, maybe it wasn't, but it's what you got. When they announced the fact that they were going to do an, basically an automatic rematch back-to-back, this is where I, this is a, a case where I can understand doing an automatic rematch back-to-back. Partly, there's not an obvious contender aside from what you already have, and then more to the point, these guys fought tooth and nail in a fight-of-the-year candidate, and there was no clear winner. Running that back right away is the right call. You only want to run it back right away when the decision or the result is in somehow great dispute or uh, there was just no real clear way to to say one guy won. I think, again, I think Figueredo won, but even if he did, BC, it was by the skin of his teeth. Maybe he did it, but it was not easy for him. This makes all the sense in the world while the rest of the division can sort itself out a little bit. Hopefully, love it. Can't wait for it. Great call. 
Yeah, it's going to, whether you believe it should be next or not, it's going to be entertaining. And Moreno does have an opportunity after the performance of his career to really double down and, and, you know, max himself out here. This should be fun to see. I don't know how much longer Figueroa can keep making this weight, Luke, but uh, he is a gangster when he does. Uh, We mentioned it. Breaking news on Wednesday, Valentina Shevchenko, April 24th, UFC 261, getting Jessica Andrade. The early betting lines are out. Minus 350 for Shevchenko. Plus 248 for Andrade. Luke, nobody in this division, it seems, has a chance to beat the great Valentina. I only give Andrade a chance. Is it more than a puncher's chance, though? What are you, what are you thinking here? Yes, because she can rest, she can weaponize takedowns. So, yes, but not, not a whole lot more than that. It's still, you know, is there a technical gap between them? Yes. Is it big? Yes. Is it multidimensional in many cases? Yes. You know, it's going to be a lot to overcome that. But because of her strength, it's not just power punching. She has good cardio too, by the way. Uh, But she can weaponize a lot of other positions uh, for great effect. So in that sense, I do think, yeah, she deserves to be considered a bit more than just a puncher's chance. Yeah, and I think Andras showed you in the Ioana title loss at Flyweight and also the uh, rematch with Rose Namajunas, Luke, that, you know, she can endure punishment and cuts and losing a fight and just keep coming like stay you know not recklessly but just keep coming she's like there's a Michael Myers effect there that if she's in this fight and she's losing she can pull it out late she's always going to be a threat uh I like her at this weight class a lot Luke she's got a very strong lower body you can see she's really been working on her legs and she's very explosive this should be fun uh Luke one championship has this been enough to tickle your fantasy it's going to air on TNT in the states March 28th how about this for matchmaking Sage Northcutt versus Shinya Aoki are you in Luke it's a good fight it's a good fight I won't lie if Shinya Aoki is still kind of hanging around um what's kind of interesting is you know Serge uh Serge uh Sage's face was really messed up in that last fight multiple surgeries or certainly a very difficult one I think uh at a bare minimum to right all the the damage that had been done and so I think there's a lot of uh, sparring he couldn't do for a long time and you might think oh well a grappler like Aoki that's a good fight it's it's still a tough fight but it's good for Sage in the sense that he's not so much facing the heavy-handed guy and while that's generally true Aoki does have good ground and pound when he wants to especially because he can advance position so that might get a little bit dicey at the same time though He's not the best when it comes to like weathering any kind of real concerted effort on the feet. So, with a little bit of takedown defense, a little bit of striking, Sage could do good work here. But uh, an interesting clash of styles. I like it. It's good matchmaking by one. And the good news is, BC, 57 million people on Mars are going to be able to watch it. It's (laughs) really reaching those other demos. I hope the winner gets to fight the winner of uh, of Chatri's, what's that show, the Donald Trump show, Luke? What a the You're Fired show. show. The Apprentice. Yeah. Yes, Shotri yeah. has his own Apprentice season coming out. This will be interesting, Luke. All right, our final topic of the day. Luke, I threw this in there just to get a little shits and giggles out of you, potentially. Or maybe you should be worrisome. Kevin Holland was on the Joe Rogan experience there in Texas. Luke, like you, he did not shout out Morning Combat or his co-host. <laughs> but here's what he did say. Let's go to the videotape. You sit up here and you say it's sad because he has COVID and shit like that. But they said I had COVID, you know, and if we're supposed to be athletes, you know, it's like get the yeah, fuck Yeah, but you over. obviously had a very mild 
Oh, you know. I mean, he's he's had it for months. My girl had it pretty good. Months and months now. My girl had it pretty good, and I was fucking her the whole time. You know, and it's like, so, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like we all take it different, you know? Different fighters, different heart, you know? Don't claim to have the heart if you ain't got it. Don't you think it's just like a disease, though? I mean, I mean, some shit. people just have a harder sucks. time with a disease. The flu sucks, you know? Michael yeah. Jordan still went out there and won. Mm. You know? It's different. Uh, Luke, John just sucks, but Michael Jordan still did that documentary for 10 episodes with a glass of whiskey, Luke. Okay, all right. BC, wow. I want you to know I've had testicular cancer 17 times, but you know the differences between me and everyone else? Who suffers from it? I just made a choice not to have it anymore. Yeah, yeah I got, you got big balls. Yeah, got that uh, heart, you know. That's a very in- now. Look, we know that these comments are heavily slated toward the idea that like I'm more man than Hamzat Shemaev, right? I want to fight him and expose him, but uh, they do cross over into dangerous territory, Luke. You know? Yeah, I mean, ha- apparently half a million people. Uh, just didn't have heart, apparently, according to Kevin Holland, I guess. I don't know. I don't know exactly Here's who the a- words are. I think Kevin Holland's a nice guy. I've interviewed him a couple times. Um, but, you know, what do you want to say? It's just deeply ignorant uh, in terms of COVID. Can you anyway. F a girl on COVID, Luke? Is that, is that safe? I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. It's just All a right. virus, you know? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of people. People fuck each other with a lot of viruses getting passed back and forth, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll clap to that one, Luke. Uh, final quote here from Kevin Holland on Chemayev. He says he's about that life. That kid ain't about that life. I see him at the PI. I walked in. I was like, that's my best friend. He was like, you want to do be friends now? I said, fuck no. We're best friends without being friends. They were like, Kevin, there's a lot of them. They're going to jump you. And I was like, no. I drove out here. I got dildos in my car. I was ready to fuck them. That boy's not about that life. Which life? Wait, wait. Which life was he referring to, Luke? The 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 dildos or the? Uh, or you see, the, I don't know okay. about you, but in the back of my car right now, I've got a hundred pounds of just giant dildos ready to go at a moment's notice when ninjas attack me out of nowhere, and I defend yes. myself with giant giant dildos. For many soaked of in, combative reasons. Soaked in the COVID, Luke, okay? Soaked in the COVID, yes. yes that's thank right. You Sitting in much. a vat of liquid COVID. You can argue, Luke, I was wrong for even bringing light to these ridiculous quotes, but uh, they may show up in next Friday's segment that we're about to do right now, Luke, and that is called <laughs> Dead Wrong. Yeah. Dead Wrong. If you're new to these parts, the premise is that we are so open, Luke, about our faults that we'll sit on top of the L and straddle it if needed. But you better come original and bring it and be right because we had a lot of falsities lately here, Luke. Falsities. Let's jump in in and be humble. Here we go, Luke, Uh, on the latest episode of Viewer Rights, episode 120 at 1 hour, 8 minutes, and 10 seconds when discussing the assassination of Kim Jong-nam during Tip to Tip, Luke says... That he was assassinated, quote, in the Malaysian airport in Jakarta. Firstly, Luke, he it's was Indonesia. killed in the in the Kuala, Kuala Lumpur airport in Malaysia. And secondly, Jakarta is in Indonesia. Indonesia. Yeah, I didn't know Jakarta was quote. in Indonesia, but I did fuck up the cities. That's true. Okay, Luke, take that L. All right, here we I'll go. Let's keep it going. Uh, slip of the tongue here during Friday's episode 120. The big beige one had a slip of the tongue. He said at about 45 minutes on the Apple pod that UFC 260 is co-headlined by Ortega and Arlovsky. Look, I know what Brian meant. I know he doesn't believe that Ortega is going to step in there against a heavy. But as your loyal listeners, it's our job to call attention to this. So I was trying to say Ortega and Volkanovsky, Luke. 
I said Arlovsky. I'll take the L. Okay. Yeah, that one burned a little bit, Luke. That was. Uh, that was please, weird. please seek medical attention, and by that I mean a lobotomy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's keep this thing rolling here, Luke. Uh, Ohio is the only state in the USA without a rec a rectangular flag. Someone writes, "We have a weird shaped banner. Why an Ohio flag on a spaceman meme?" John Glenn is from Ohio. He was the first American astronaut to orbit the Earth. Luke, they are dead wronging us from that fan sub uh, moment where uh, two astronauts were pointing at Earth and talking about morning combat. We said, what flag is that on the right, guys? It turns out to be Ohio, Luke, because of John Glenn. All right. Okay. I mean, did we say it was... I, I said I didn't know what it was more than I asserted what it was. So I guess it's wrong, but I, I, don't, I don't know... If you say I don't know, <laughs> how are you wrong? How are you wrong? <laughs> it's like I yeah. literally don't know what it is. All right, the next L to throw at you, Luke. You know how Luke describes Jack people as bricked up? Well, I decided yes. to say that with my friends, and they told me some more interesting news. Bricked up does not, in fact, mean strong or built. It means quote to sport a boner. For reference, here are screenshots of the top four results from Urban Dictionary. As you can see, they all reference dicks and not about being strong. I am not sure where Luke confused the terms, and I'm not sure I want to know, Luke. Okay. I didn't confuse it. I first heard it at a weight room in the Marine Corps. and I mean, no one ever explained it to me. It seemed pretty intuitive, but to to brick something up is how you stack bricks, like for a window or something like that. So it was to just become the sort of wall of bricks. That was the maybe way they that... mean. Maybe they mean shit bricks, Luke. No, I don't think that's what they mean. I mean, again, I never had it clarified, but everyone used the term. So, like, maybe the next generation has changed the term. That's certainly possible. I, I can't. I can't deny. Assuming these screenshots are legitimate, that that is what it means uh, to the current generation. I'm just telling you where, where I got it from. It was at 29 Palms, California, 1999. I'll never forget it. I heard it the first time. I thought it sounded cool. And I always thought it meant if you just stack up bricks, like, that's what it meant. So there you go. Okay, okay Luke. We'll continue but apparently it means, here. you know, what you do at the bus stop. You know, so a ne- a BC is very bricked up usually at the bus stop in his white pants. Ready to go. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how we ended up here. All right, Luke, uh, let's keep it moving here. Uh, I'm saying you masturbated at the bus stop, but never mind. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, right around the 6.55 mark during Monday's episode. Wow, these people are down to the second, Luke, because you made them be down to the second, just so okay. you know. All right, you know what? Cl- clarity is always better. Episode 121 on Apple Podcasts, BBC had a slip. He said that before the Latifi fight, the black beast Derek Lewis had a split decision win against Alexi Olenek. Uh, only that couldn't have happened because the ba- the Black Beast stopped the boa constrictor mm. via TKO, exclamation point. I don't know why we're yelling here. Before the Latifi fight, Derek Lewis had a split decision win over Blagoy Ivanov. A mm. memorable moment from that contest is when during the post-fight interview, Lewis said he was aiming for that booty hole in the center of his <laughs> chest. <laughs> Shit happens and we don't fault you for it, Beige One. Love you guys. Yes, yes, Luke, I was wrong on my Russian uh, journeyman heavyweights. I'm sorry. Shout out to Blog Boy, just the same, right? Fair enough. All right. Uh, the hits just keep on coming here, Luke. A, on Wednesday's episode, episode 122 at an hour 54, Brian pulls up a Pulp Fiction edit of Luke getting mad about the Ronaldo bit. At the end, Brian says, Luke, 
You know what they call a Big Mac in Doha, to which Luke responds, a Royale with Royale cheese. With, but oh, this it's is, not a Big Mac, is it? This is dead wrong. In the movie Pulp Fiction, Vincent Vega, played by John Travolta, asked Samuel L. Jackson, you know what they call a quarter pounder with quarter cheese. Quarter pounder, Paris. that's it. Quarter pounder. Okay, And it's dead because wrong. of the... Of the metric system, they call it the Royale with cheese instead. Come on, BBC. Fast food is your thing. Very true. How could you disrespect the Golden Arches like that? I am a former employee, just for the record. And BBC You worked said at Big McDonald's? Mac, but the current reference is, yeah. Uh, hard to do. Had to do it. Much love, you degenerates. Yes, Luke, I worked at McDonald's. Uh, so I, uh, in high school, I worked at Chick-fil-A. How was it? McDonald's was awful. I have many stories I could tell drunkenly. I worked there from February of 1995, Luke, uh, through my graduation of high school in June of 96. Luke, I made $4.08 an hour when I started there, Luke. $4.25 on this end of things. No, no. uh, Chick-fil-A actually paid better. So I made $5.15. And I worked there for about two semesters, not even, in 1998. I quit. By signing up for two weeks worth of endless shifts and then not showing up is a true story. <laughs> not showing up for a single one. Oh, they were fucking pissed about that. But uh, <laughs> I, I worked mostly. I, I started in the kitchen and then uh, uh, I got uh, put on the cash register, which was really a bad fit for me. Because yes, as you can sure. imagine, I had utter and complete disdain for 99% of the customers who came through that door. So in my factory town, Luke, it wasn't completely looked at as ridiculous for somebody who's somewhat upper middle class to work at a McDonald's. You know, we're, it's a factory town. It's all right. But I did get a lot of people going, you're working at a freaking McDonald's? And my parents even were like, really? But I went there, Luke, because I figured I could eat and loot as much food as possible, Luke. So what they did is, you know, like the burgers are only supposed to be in that like heating bin after they're made for whatever, like 10 minutes. There's like a timer there. And then they just throw that shit away. So Luke, I'd fill up a bag secretly the whole shift. And then on break, just gorge myself in that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I was the fry guy for a while, which is the worst job, but there's nothing Luke, like being a cashier on a Saturday morning at McDonald's and a school bus pulls in and the lines out the door and you screw up someone's order or you get them something late. And Luke, these people, these fine Americans that would come in there and they would just disrobe you verbally. They, I mean, you, <laughs> you I mean, they would just like, you freaking idiot, right? Like they would just drop bombs on you, like take out all their frustrations from the construction site during the week. Luke, it was, uh, it was a great place to learn uh, humility and swear words. It was fantastic. Uh, I did eventually graduate to the drive-in window, which was a great job. So thank you. Dude, I, I, right, I, I never, I don't know how the Chick-fil-A menu works anymore, but back in 1998, for whatever fucking reason, and by the way, I did not work at the Chick-fil-A near my high school. I worked at the one in Kennesaw, Georgia, um, near the uh, there's a mall near in Kansas, Georgia. I worked at one there, and because uh, it was far enough away from my high school, where like the pretty high school girls would never come to this Chick Fil A in, in all likelihood, at least when <laughs> I was working there. Um, skanks, so I could, yes. yeah, yeah, just just the rednecks and skanks. But I'll never forget. I'll never forget. The menu was basically situated between combos, which went by. Uh, number one two three four or whatever and then value meals or something like that but it, the, the real key insight was that it was designated by letter so a b c d and i'll never forget i'd be working register and i would purposely not move a muscle when they did this just to fuck with them because they would come in and be like hey man can i get um can i get uh, a number a to go and i i'd be like 
I'd say nothing, and they'd be like, are you going to punch it in? I'd be like, sir, I don't know what a number A is. <laughs> so wait, were you at, so you're a, an absolute a-hole on this show, correcting people's speech, being a, were you like, were you basically like a, like a Saturday Night Live character there in that? In I that mean, I was definitely, I was definitely much nicer. Like I'd say, be like, sir, I don't, I mean, very, almost condescendingly, sir, I don't know what a number A is. I'm scared. Because I don't want to put in number one, but you might mean letter A or vice versa. I need you to clarify exactly what you want. And so that would work. I put a number four or five cult in your asshole. Son. Yeah, no, then they'd be like, then they'd be like, and I have other times they come in there and they'd be like, hey, man, uh, y'all got fish? They'd be like, yes, sir. This, sir this, that sign you see there, it doesn't say Chick-fil-A. That says fish filet. So we have all the fish in the world for your utterly yeah. deranged inability to read fucking ass. Yes. Look, I worked at McDonald's so long ago that they still sold pizza, by the way. And also, oh uh, just so people know this, I mean, obviously, look, it's it's the worst of the worst working at McDonald's. I mean, there were some decent kids, but it's mostly really bad off people. Look, the floor of McDonald's is the s- most slippery and disgusting area of all time. <laughs> so, like, yeah, they clean it, but as they're working... Like if you do anything but tri- but go across it at like the slowest possible walk, you'll you'll fall right on your ass. Okay, so it's slippery, it's greasy. There's chunks of hair. I mean, it's just everything. And we not only had the five second rule, you know, if some if food hits the floor, but you pick it up within five seconds, you can still use it as a joke. Look, it was taught. I mean, the people that became like our managers, right? Like they taught that. I mean, I can't tell you the horrors I've seen of on a busy shift when somebody is pulling the meat out of the thing and they drop, you know, 50 patties on the floor and the managers are just scooping it back up and putting it right back on the bun, Luke, and sending it out. Um, Yeah. 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 Luke. Yeah. By the way, were you ever a waiter? Did you ever like wait tables? No, no, I I could not have lasted in the service industry. Luke, I'd be I I graduated from this job to become the janitor at Stop and Shop. Okay, so that was my career arc. See, I actually got pretty good at that because I was very fast. I could take orders. Well, I didn't fuck up people's orders. I had a whole system. I knew the menu, blah, blah, blah. So I actually did okay in that one, but I I, I, maybe I'll save it for the next room service diaries. But I had one run in because I worked at a steakhouse. Um, before I moved to New York City, after I graduated from college, I just needed a, a job for the summer. So I waited tables in Williamsburg. And uh, I had a couple of run-ins with customers where they tried to step to your boy. And your boy was like, I think you don't realize you're talking to a mathlete. And I'm about to have a, I'm, you're about to have a bad day, sir. And I, have, and I fucking <laughs> dunked on him. So we'll talk about that at some point in the future. Yeah. You want a piece of pie with that? I'm talking about 3.14, motherfucker. All right. Oh, I had got no, no. I had I had to call the cops on certain people. I had some guys, you know, question my math skills. We, oh, we had wow. it out in that yeah. steakhouse. How dare that? How dare that happen? Our final dead wrong, Luke, is a last minute addition here. Luke claimed during Wednesday's show that Mace Windu defeated Palpatine in combat. He's he did. He did. Fuck you. He their- did. To their battle in Star Wars Episode Three by the window there in uh, whatever Coruscant, wherever that was. But Luke, that has never been confirmed, and parts of the fight have been confirmed to have been thrown by Palpatine, as George Lucas himself has stated in the ROTS ah. commentary. Quote: This part where he pretends to lose his power and be weak was something that I added later. End quote about how Palpatine Luke feigned weakness and then blasted Windu out with the lightning, having a second lightsaber in his left sleeve that he did not produce after being disarmed 
uh, and matching Yoda very soon afterwards. An arguably better swordsman than Mace. So, Luke, are they saying here that in hindsight, maybe after reading the extra nerdy Star Wars novels and some commentary by George Lucas, that Palpatine purposely lost that battle so that he could turn Anakin to the dark side to defend him? So this person clearly has Star Wars knowledge that I don't. So I cede the floor to this gentleman who I'm sure fucks. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My only... BC, my only claim was from the movie. I've not read any of the books, so I don't know. But in the movie, Mace Windu has Palpatine dead to rights. He's basically defeated him, and it's only at that point that Anakin intervenes, and then that is what ultimately undoes it. But had it not been for Anakin fucking it up like man-to-man, in the movie, Mace Windu gets the better of him. So what the real story is beyond the movies, I have no idea. But I feel like, BC... If it's in the Star Wars movie, I do feel like that counts. I, it counts for something. Well, look, are you one of like like I don't go heavy nerd. I love all the Star Wars stuff. I've you know the movies, the Rebels cartoon. Like I, I've been, I've watched a lot of it. It's great, right? I love the spinoff movies, but I refuse to read books. <laughs> I mean, read yeah. read Star Wars novels or get extra nerdy or whatever. There are people who who like you and I who largely just look at what happened in the movies, and that's the gospel of how we determine the, whether the storyline is good or not. Are, are you with the fact, though, that there's like a larger universe and it's all connected from the books to the whatever to the whatever? Like people are like, go back and watch the uh, Clone Wars cartoon that fills in all the blanks. Right. Are you in on that, Luke? I'm I, I tried watching those Clone War cartoons, man. You know, you got to be. You got to be a, you got to be a kid who's dumb to really like fully enjoy those and look star wars itself is not that great i mean it's not you know it's not part of the criterion collection but the reason why i like star wars is it's kind of fun it's you know there's some interesting parts to it i guess on certain levels but it's just 80s nostalgia brought back to life it's it's a chance to be a kid again for 40 year old dads like us it's really what it comes down to and so i like i like it but uh you know this idea that like i can't count what's in the fucking movie I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know who makes the rules about Star Wars truth. BC. Maybe I this just don't like does. when we, when the, whether it's a new sequel or it's a spinoff movie, things happen that retroactively change the meaning of of things of structural things that happened in like ex- episodes four, five, and six that were like major turning points in our sort of youth and understanding things when you know retroactively something happens in another spinoff movie that changes the meaning of it. Don't mess with my shit. All right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this person knows better than me, but I I know what I saw. And I saw Mace Windu win. So, you know, let's celebrate that fact, shall we? (laughs) What other combat show will give you this? Bullshit to waste time. Uh, Luke, we're grinding down to a stoppage here. Uh, I got to jump on CBS Sports HQ. We don't have a traditional tip to tip, just the tip, just for a second this week. But I did want to throw a a, a get ready. I know we've been teasing this documentary, Morning Combat 2.0. I don't even know if it has a title yet, Luke. It had been delayed in its production and editing. But Luke, I received a rough edit this morning of the full thing. And I I saw parts. Luke, it is. Shout out to Less Than Jake, our documentarian. It is freaking fantastic. This will be an epic, epic event when this comes out. I think we're looking at next week, Luke. Uh, Do you look? You've been on record. This is not your thing. In fact, you know, 
you also look kind of ducked out on some, you know, mandated appearances in this documentary. So mm-hmm. you're coming from a much different standpoint than the artiste like myself. But <laughs> are you excited to check out this rough draft today to get the people ready for what's coming, Luke? Yes, I'm curious. The last one wildly exceeded my expectations. You're building this one up to be the godfather. So I, I legitimately have high, high hopes. I guess we're going to see. Yeah, very few times, Luke, is the sequel you know, as good or better than the first, right? It's like uh, Edgar Maynard, the Godfather, maybe Empire Strikes Back, although I'm still a hardcore episode four guy myself, Luke. Okay, all right. Hey, you want some breaking news? It's not that significant, but I'm just going to read it just the same. Uh, Maxim Grishin, who's fighting Dustin Jacoby, the fight I shouted out, he has missed weight by five pounds. So that's fun. All right. That's great. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, so that's it. I mean, that's all I really got for you this week. Uh, get ready for that next week. It's going to be fun. Uh, we got a lot of good projects and things coming up in the future. Obviously, uh, we're going to get really excited, of course, for Bellator MMA on Showtime. And uh, that's all going to launch here. Oh, first, let me, let me shout out our social handles there. Check them all out there. At Morning Combat on Instagram and Twitter. Luke and I differ just a bit, but I'm sure you're already following us. Okay, thank you. Uh, please, uh, Showtime's about to get jacked up. So why don't you get on board now? 30 days for free. Showtime.com. Of course, uh, if you're only an MMA fan, April 2nd's coming. That's, that's Pitbull. That's Emmanuel Sanchez Part 2. So why don't you get on now? 30 days free. Four ninety nine a month for the next six months. That covers the entire start of this two hundred five pound tournament. The end of the featherweight ramp. You're going to want to see this. Get on board now. And while you're proprieting us, why don't you put on a little bit of this MK merch? Okay. I don't care if you're with Bill and Jen in a van down by the river somewhere, or you are, uh, you know, walking around your day to day existence there. As long as you are an American. And you live in the lower 48. Right now, you can wear this stuff. So why don't you head on over to store.show.com. You're going to look great in that green hoodie. And uh, coming soon, international merch. Uh, a new launch of a new line. Luke, this is going to be a different line. I don't want to you know, spoil anything, but it's going to be different than that first batch, right? Uh, very. And we're going to have a meeting about it today. So I am very excited. By the way, one quick note, BC. I know we have to go, so I'll make it fast. Last week, my tip. We didn't do one this week, but last week, my tip. I gave, or I think it was maybe two weeks ago, whatever it was, for the movie Assassins, the documentary, I got a bunch of people who watched it and said they liked it. Emails, tweets, the whole nine yards. So if you haven't seen it, Assassins, documentary, you can watch it on Fandango or wherever wherever movies are streamed. You're going to love it. People have, I'm telling you, people have been raving about it. And uh, uh, go see it this weekend. Look, I will be on the island of Puerto Rico next week, and I will damn sure watch that during my quarantine periods, okay? Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Big fight next week. Ring City USA next Thursday night, Luke. Brandon Adams, Sergey Boachuk. Yeah, get fired up. Your boy BC back in the booth. Let's do this. Hey, full shout-outs here to Malka, CBS Sports, Showtime, our great people behind the scenes, Manich Gaff, Mikey Morms, uh, even that Gary Glitter guy, Luke. We got some, you know, we got some, we got some champs back here, right? Yes, we do. We have a lot of people Pennington. on the show who work hard and do good work. Pennington James. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Never heard of him. Uh, for Luke's Thomas's uh, salt and pepper here, it's well cut, well cropped, Luke. Well, well groomed today. Shout out to you and your uh, yes. $100 well spent. That's what they cost here in D.C., motherfucker. Look, how I awkward you don't think can I so. make the end of the show? I mean, really, how awkward can I make the end of the show? How, how Luke, late do you want to be to CBS Sports HQ? Will you fucking go, please? You, you couldn't be as, you know, less into the ending here, Luke. You're already into your emails, right? You know? 
Yes, I am. Okay. All right. Hey, for that angry guy over there, Luke (laughs) Thomas, my name is Brian Campbell, the beige guy. Remember, folks out there, uh, take your mental health seriously. Put yourself first here and then take care of your loved ones. All right. We can get through this. Uh, We've been through worse. And it's MK signing off. May all of your gains be hoes. And may all of your ex-lovers, please. (laughs) Hopefully someone's keeping them satisfied. I'm BC. We out.